Lead Generation Strategies for B2B Tech Companies, a podcast by Brightvision. Here, you will learn how to generate great leads from the most experienced B2B sales and marketing people. Your host today, and always, is Jakob Levenbrand, CEO at Brightvision. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the B2B Legion podcast for tech companies. My name is Jacob Lovenbrand. I'm the managing director of Bright Vision as well as host of this podcast. In today's episode, we're going to talk to a very interesting guy. He's an award-winning sales, marketing, and business strategy consultant whose name is Chad Sanderson. And he's going to talk to us about sales and especially value selling, which is a trademarked uh, framework he's developed. He was not only introduced this framework over a decade ago, but the reason to why he is working with this is that he has a record of consistently exceeding quota. And uh, with that very short introduction, welcome to today's podcast, Chad. It's an honor to have you here. Oh, thank you very much. It's, it's my pleasure, and I, and I appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation with you. Yeah, I'm so stoked to talk about all the things you're working on and helping clients with and so on. But before diving into you know, sales and how B2B companies can, can think more efficiently about these processes, maybe... Can you give us a short background to, you know, what you've been up to and why you ended up in running the value selling framework? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I can tell you when I was a small child, I did not play with my GI Joes and go, hey, I want to go into sales. Uh, that was never really the, uh, it was never really a goal. <laughs> like many people I wound, uh, it was very securitous uh, way of getting here. I actually started my career in marketing. Uh, and spent nine years running global marketing for an organization and decided, you know, hell, let's have a new challenge. And jumped into sales and went from being a leader to an individual contributor carrying a, a bag and a quota and was lucky enough and this is going back 18 years ago if your if your audience could see me i have a goatee and i would like to point out that when you see my picture those are platinum highlights in my goatee that is not gray hair <laughs> uh, i was trained in the value selling framework 18 years ago changed the trajectory of of my career and about three years ago after having worked for companies that we sold off to KPNG and stuff, started my own kind of franchise um, with the IP, working with a business partner, um, training organizations, how to have conversations and optimize their, their buying process, their buying experience, especially in a B2B uh, environment. And it has been one hell of a ride. Nobody saw the pandemic coming or anything like that. So it's been, uh, it's been an amazing journey. Um, and glad to say that I've been very successful at it. Yeah, so interesting and, and good to hear. And we had a little bit uh, pre-chat here just around uh, how COVID have impacted you. And uh, you mentioned your flight hours or flight miles <laughs> last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, think I had 160, yeah, 168,000 air miles uh, last year. So I was in, I mean, f of course, all over North America, but was in Singapore twice working with companies and was in... Uh, uh, was in Dublin twice, was in the UK, uh, Barcelona. Um, we work with companies all over, all over. And, and in, it was largely in person. And then of course, you know, much like everybody else, the pandemic hits and I've had 200 air miles in 2020. Uh, it's now 2021. I don't, don't have any flights planned, which is, 
in a decade of living on a plane, it is quite the change. Um, but it's also an opportunity. And I think a lot of companies kind of saw that as well, especially from a selling environment. You, you have to master not only the same skills of in-person selling, but there's a different level of being able to continually connect to people in a virtual environment. We took the opportunity and redesigned all of our offerings um, to optimize them for virtual. And it's, it's been very effective and a bit hair raising. I mean, anybody who sees my picture knows I'm already bald. So it's not like I'm pulling out my hair, uh, but let's just say it's been a little challenging at times, but uh, we weathered through. Yeah, that's awesome to see and uh, hear companies like you uh, and value selling to, to be able to do the pivot uh, to going totally virtual in your whole delivery model. So today we're going to talk about, uh, you know, value selling, which is actually the name of the framework you're representing and, and have been working on and so forth. And, and one of the key things, of course, in B2B sales and marketing, how to how to get clients interested, but also differentiate from others uh, you're competing with and so on. So maybe you can start out telling us a little bit about, uh, you know, I know a lot of companies have had some kind of formal training, if not in the recent years, maybe back to the days of the spin selling and solution selling frameworks and, and so on. And so what's what gets the value selling framework stand out and being so, uh, attractive and, and popular uh, training model uh, as it is. Yeah, so I'm going to be really brutally honest with, with your audience here. Um, there's no magic, there's no silver bullet uh, in, in the value selling framework. And if you look at, you mentioned spin and solution, you can go through Challenger, Miller, Hyman, Sandler. There's a whole bunch of training methodologies out there. And there's good things in all of them, right? I don't want to fault any, any of the competitors. There's good things people can take away from. I went through them all as well uh, before I settled on Viceling, and it came down to really one, two things. One is the simplicity, is it's very easy to adopt. It doesn't create a lot of overhead. It's more of a mental model for how to conduct a conversation uh, in a consistent and repeatable way that uncovers what the person you're talking to finds valuable and gives you tools to connect to that. So it's the simplicity of it, number one. And number two, which has actually gotten more important um, as we've seen an influx of, you know, focus on customer experience um, and digital experiences that are all focused around the individual, is that it is focused on the buyer rather than it being built from our sales process towards the buyer. So value selling is built from the buyer back, designed to give them uh, the, a frictionless experience. And those two things combined to make it very easy for organizations to implement, coach to, measure. Uh, it's not a lot of overhead. There's not a lot of internal resistance to the framework itself. I mean, there's normal, nobody likes to change. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I hope I have a catastrophic change in my life today. <laughs> uh, but once you get over that, um, it's very simple and it's very easy uh, for people to apply it right out of the gate. I mean, we have people when they come out of the workshop start literally the next phone call they make, um, they're using it. And so those two things, I think, are the things that kind of set it apart. Um, and in my experience, having implemented it at several companies myself as an executive, used it myself as an individual contributor back in the day, and now implementing it at other organizations. Those are the two things I think really set it apart from uh, some of those other things that we mentioned. Mm, yeah, sounds sounds intriguing and, and uh, great benefit there. So 
what what is it that makes it so hard for B2B companies to offer value and to stand out in the sales dialogues and the marketing uh, <laughs> communication that we, yeah. you know, <laughs> both. Oh, wait, sell, that's um, a great question, right? So, I mean, if we think about it, every organization, you know, when it gets started, let's start to take it from its infancy. Any organization gets started, you've got passionate founders or, or people that have come up with what they believe to be a solution to some type of problem. And as the organization grows, you're tacking on culture and strategy and more personalities. And we're trying to rally everyone around kind of us as a company, right? The th things that we do. So now fast forward, whether it's small, medium business or a huge enterprise, global enterprise, um, our onboarding is really structured in a way to say, hey, check out how cool we are. Look at this awesome things we do. And then we unleash them into the world and we're surprised why all they want to do is talk about us. But anybody, if you think about any interpersonal relationship, I would be surprised if anybody in your audience actually is a partner with, in a relationship with, or married to someone who started the conversation by going, hey, you have no idea how cool I am. You really want to hang out with me. Look at all the cool stuff I have. People have a tendency to be turned away from individuals that talk about themselves. It's the same thing in sales. And so we don't have a tendency to equip them with the tools to really have and listen to and engage in a value-based conversation because most companies don't understand that what is valuable is determined by the buyer, not by us. We want to tell people all these benefits and things that we can do. That's great. Nobody woke up this morning thinking about and hoping that your company called them to try and sell them something. That's not the way it works. They wake up and think about the problems they have to solve at their job. So how do we have a conversation to uncover what their view of their primary objective is? What is, the, what is their view of the problems they have? And then how do I connect my unique capabilities to those problems, show them I can solve them in a way nobody else can, and therefore be able to uncover what they find valuable, what kind of return they're going to see in a way that nobody else can match. It's a, it's a flip of a normal conversational dynamic and the reason it exists is because organizations have to have consistency internally. And when we onboard them, we're all talking about how cool, cool we are. And rather than how do I go out as an individual and have an effective conversation with another human being? Mm, yeah, <laughs> it makes sense. We, we do like to talk about ourselves a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and I mean, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what we what we do uh, in the marketing department as many times, of course, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yep. so, on. so, so yeah, it's interesting. So what, what do you suggest? How should a B2B company think about, you know, you have all your activities, you have your marketing, you have your events, you have your, even though they're online today and you have your sales guys who are, you know, want to achieve their quota and so on. And, um, how do you how do you twist the culture so we get it to be more customer centric in a in a B two B company that's you know pushing to, to get things done and to to grow and so forth? Yeah, and that's and that's a great question. I think that's where, from my perspective, that's where something like the value selling framework. And I'm not I'll just say a framework in general, but a framework where everybody is speaking the same language. What we naturally have a tendency to see is marketing 
may not necessarily understand what sales does or how they do it or what they need on a day-to-day basis. And sales may not really understand what it takes to be a marketer these days with all of the continually emerging tech and ways to create ideal customer profiles and all of the targeting, right? It's almost overwhelming on the marketing side of the house. So how do you unite them with a common language? And I think that's where the value selling framework can help is because it, it works regardless of what organization and marketing sales I've trained data scientists and developers. It's just a common framework for the language. And then we don't want to change anybody's culture, but we do want them to focus on the buyer first. What is that buyer experience? And by using that common framework, it sort of it kind of twists that view a little bit, gets everybody united around the roles and the industries that we're going after and, and approach it in a way that allows us to uncover what they may care about. So our marketing can target the problems in a, and use the language of the prospects that we're going after. This is what they probably are caring about. Mm-hmm. And that would carry through into our ADRs, SDRs, BDRs, our, our outbound prospectors can carry that message along as, you know, okay, now we're in this next phase. If you were caring about that problem, then let, you probably have this problem too. And do you have that problem? And then you can very easily pass it through to an account executive, right? So that they can then go further and talk about how they can help solve that problem and the returns that they can get. The easiest thing to do is not try to fix it from the inside out. Right? I don't try to break down the silos between the, the teams. That has to be more organic. The easiest way to do it is get them all focused on the North Star of who is my buyer? Who's my ideal client profile? How do I engage in them in whatever channel it may be? Social, email, advertising. How do I engage in a way that they're going to find valuable? And then continue that conversation, kind of guiding them through the buying process rather than selling to them. Yeah, that sounds great idea there. So what what are the most common mistakes a B2B sales rep do uh, navigating in this area today in order to be a bit more practical? What what do you come across as the most common mistakes? So when I would say, I I would be careful with the word mistake. If we think about sales reps, Mm -hmm. most organizations have them set up so that there is some combination of a base salary and commission structure, right? So it's risk versus reward scenario. And what has a tendency to happen is that there's a panic. There's this underlying panic that sets in. So what I see most often is that sales reps will chase deals or hold on to things that are uh, that you know are time sink that do not have a higher probability of converting to close one business and they lose time. So the effective time management and the and the aggressive qualification of am I chasing somebody? Am I chasing an account that really has problems I can help solve? And am I being radically honest with myself about it? We have a tendency to want to hold on to too much to make our pipeline feel safer, although it's a false sense of security. Um, and it, those that have those that take the kind of the value selling framework in our qualified prospect formula to, to really determine where am I with an account and they get comfortable with the fact that there are some accounts that are not in a buying cycle right now and we're not going to be able to convert their focus on problems to be those that we can help solve. So I need to put them aside for now. Um, building up that comfort level DQing out, getting rid of the things that aren't ready and, and radically focusing on the things that are is the biggest challenge I see for reps. 
there's this desire. And part of that, I think, is, you know, structure of the organization where we measure based on, uh, based on pipeline, based on commit, based on whatever your sales stages are. And so they don't, nobody wants to get in trouble. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, sales reps sandbag stuff. <laughs> so we exactly. want to make sure that they stop doing that. That's interesting. Yeah. And uh, very good uh, observation there from your side. But, uh, and I think it's it's sometimes our fault because, as you say, we, we design our process that we want to have uh, small close closures uh, and, and bringing them forwards uh, into the deal pipeline and so on. And um, how do you think, uh, from a marketing perspective, we can help the sales reps uh, you know, because marketing is many times uh, measured on the number of leads or similar things like that, you know, from a quantity perspective, because we want, it's it's hard to, to measure the marketing's uh, uh, revenue impact many times. Uh, so, so we measure other things as well. So what do you, what would an ideal situation from your perspective look like when marketing supports the sales uh, as it should be done. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's always interesting, right? Because there's always this conversation. Marketing comes up with these numbers, and I've seen this in multiple clients last year. Mm -hmm. Marketing comes up with these numbers. Hey, we generated this many leads, and sales is like, uh, no, you didn't. No, we didn't. We did. We did not see that many leads from you. Or uh, attribution is always a challenge for marketing. Where's the Where's the ROI on the investment in these dollars, uh, and the things that they measure. The, the challenge is really, I think, first and foremost, for marketers and sellers to understand a little bit more about each person's discipline. Um, I know that I was effective as an individual contributor uh, and as an executive because I had spent time in the trenches in both professions. I understood that the power of marketing to uh, target an account, what we call ABM today or account-based marketing, um, to target an account and surround them with contextual information that made it easier for me to prospect into or made it easier for me to analyze what content they were engaging in so I could tailor my messages on the sales side. I understood how all of that worked together. Organizations today can be so large, I mean, depending on how big the enterprise is, that there's often a disconnect just between understanding what's going on on either side of the fence. And I think sometimes organizations forget that there is a great deal of value uh, and camaraderie uh, to be had if you just spend some time internally really educating each other on what's going on and brainstorming together. Sales reps may not understand everything a marketer does, but I've seen them come up with some pretty good ideas that kicked off the marketing brain in a way that came up with new approaches, campaigns, and strategies. And I've seen marketers who may not understand what it means to carry a bag make observations or say things that change the way sellers sell, but you have to put them in the same spot to have those conversations and drive that alignment rather than just assume it's going to happen. Too many organizations have that wall between sales and marketing, and we're just throwing stuff back and forth, not using stuff. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate. I think the easiest way to break down is just literally help educate and brainstorm together as a team. Do you work as a sales, marketing, or channel manager and would like to generate great leads to your B2B tech company? Then we are here for you. 
By creating a qualified sales pipeline and strengthen your position in the tech industry, we help you grow. Depending on your needs, we use effective strategies like inbound marketing, telemarketing, account-based marketing, and paid media. Get more information on brightvision.com. Another thing I was thinking about is, is prospecting, as you mentioned now, and just wanted to riff a little bit about that uh, together with you there. So, so prospecting is, of course, uh, an important part of every sales pipeline, and, and sales and marketing works often quite closely together on that, and you have special light roles and so forth. And I know you work a lot with those things uh, in the value selling area as well. Could you give us a little bit of your ideas around effective prospecting and what you would like to emphasize in that area? Yeah, so when we talk about uh, when we talk about kind of how we engage with the revenue funnel itself, right? It, the steps everybody may have different stages and steps in their process, but you have to find people, you have to qualify them, you have to educate them, you have to sell them, you have to close them. That find and qualify component, uh, when we approach a customer, we implement what we call vortex prospecting. It uses the same tool set as the value selling framework, right? Same simplistic tool set. Think of it as a frame for glasses. The value selling uh, has one set of lenses and prospecting or vortex prospecting uses a separate set of lenses. It's all focused around how do I change my prospecting from being, hey, I have this cool feature, this cool capability, this cool thing to how do I personalize at scale based on role and industry? How do I effectively do research so that I can then ask intelligent questions without getting lost in the research? And how do I turn that into something that allows me to manage my time effectively and focus 50% of every day on revenue or prospecting generating activities? If we, if we apply those types of principles, still focused on what's important to our prospect, this is where marketing can be very helpful, by the way, in creating kind of the empathy map of somebody that is a target for us that isn't currently in a low interest, low awareness. They're not interested in our product. They may not even know who we are. When they're in that kind of mindset, what kind of, what are they thinking about? Marketing does personas and empathy maps like that all the time. This is a great thing for prospectors to take advantage of. It's going to change the way I reach out to them. It's going to change the way that I provide value to them. We also have to be on the prospecting side, consistent in using every channel at our disposal. Um, interesting stats. When before COVID, email open rates globally were about 36%. So somebody sent an email, there was a 36% chance that email was going to get open. COVID hits, open rates dropped to 6% because people are getting so much more email, mm. right? Social engagement fluctuates because people are tired of being in, the, in front of the screens so much. The only thing from a prospecting standpoint that has stayed consistent globally and actually gone up in EMEA and Australia and New Zealand is the phone is connection rates on the phone have actually increased. Uh, and it's the only thing that was consistent. It's higher than email and it's higher than social. If all I'm doing is one of those, I'm not getting a multiplying effect. So I need to be able to use all of those channels and in each of those mediums focused on what does that prospect care about? And our tool set will allow them to do that uh, in a very focused fashion at scale uh, and increase their, their conversations and conversions. Yeah, sounds like an, uh, a winning receipt <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to train in that area. So definitely interesting. So yeah, and it's interesting to hear that the phone has gone up and that's pretty much our experience as well at, at Bright Vision where we have seen uh, 
uh, you know, uh, a shift in, in what works and what's not in, in the different areas of uh, channels and tactics and so on. So that's very interesting. Do you see any other trends that companies should pick up on or be a little bit aware, aware about uh, in, in 2021? Well, so let's talk about the virtual for a second. So everything's going virtual, right? So um, I read, I can't remember where I, where I saw it. I'll see if I can shoot you over the article itself. But let's talk about how I command in a virtual environment. Right. So cameras on, there was a long time where you probably seen it where people have virtual backgrounds on and then, and then they have on a headset, right. And it flickers. Like you can see the gap in between the headset. Well, in my case, my bald head, you would see the flicker behind it. Right. There was this propensity for companies to make think that if everybody had the same virtual background or some derivative of that, it would create some sense of camaraderie, some branding or whatever. What we found was that it actually creates cognitive drag and it actually is harder for the human brain to process facial expressions with that flickering of that virtual background. So one of the things that we have seen and I think is going to continue into 2021 is this focus on authenticity and the reality of what it means to be human. Um, I've seen more cats climb across cameras during meetings. I've seen kids bring in uh, my little pony horses to their parents to have them braid the tails during meetings. And you know what? Some people have a tendency to think that's not professional or it's not, it shouldn't be happening, but that's real. That's the world we're all living in right now. And it gives you an opportunity where you, in a, in a face-to-face -face conversation, you would be able to create some sense of um, of intimacy, of understanding, of trust, credibility, and rapport, that level of authenticity of seeing that other people have, you know, those types of lives, I think is going to be an important part of not only the way we prospect, not only the way we sell, not only the way we market, but the way that we're effective as we continue to go into 2021. That's so interesting to hear. And, uh, what a good, uh, um, outlook for 2021 to become more authentic <laughs> sorry <laughs> my swedish pronunciation yeah so um that's awesome so great great insights there chad i know you're a busy guy uh, uh we have to let you go you run a company have a lot of clients etc so thank you so much for your time and offering these valuable advice and insights uh I think there is a lot of things we can pick up on, but I know you have more content and things uh, to offer. If, uh, for example, a award-winning podcast yourself. So if our audience would like to, you know, take more uh, um, content and read more about your ideas, Chad, where can we send them? Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn. That's the easiest one. It's just in forward slash Chad Sanderson. Uh, feel free to shoot me an email. It's just chad.sanderson at valueselling.com. And if you want to listen to the podcast, you can find it on iTunes and Spotify, all the places that everybody would look, but it's called the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. Um, would love to engage with any of your listeners that have questions and happy to be supportive of, of your organization as well in any way that I can. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chad. It's been great to uh, talk with you and uh, I learned a lot and I'm sure every listener did too. So uh, thank you so much for your time and uh, good luck with your venture value selling. Cheers. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B tech companies. Don't forget to subscribe. You will find it where podcasts live. Discover how we can help you with your lead generation activities at brightvision.com.